Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to John chapter 4. John 4, we'll start in verse 43. We, we did the first part of the chapter last time I was here, and now we will finish chapter 4 today. <clears throat> um, back before COVID started, uh, people used to go to the movies, if you remember. Um, they used to go see new movies when they were in theaters, and that's not really a thing much right now. Um, but um, at the beginning of this year, Adrian and I saw a movie in theaters called 1917. Um, it, it, it is a movie that, that is um, very well done. Um, a, as a preacher, I have to put the disclaimer, obviously, that, that um, you, you may be offended by it because it is rated R, but it's a war movie, and that's why. Um, war movies tend to have two things. Um, language, because soldiers are not usually mild-mannered guys, and obviously it's a war movie, so people get shot and blown up in it. Um, but aside from that, it's a completely fine movie. Um, 1917 is about World War I. In World War I, in this movie, um, there's two British soldiers, and and the British armies are in this one area of the land, and there's a platoon on the complete other side of of, of where the war is taking place that is planning an attack on the enemies. And um, they are going to do this attack, but this platoon over here gets word that they're going to be ambushed, that it's a setup. They're all going to get slaughtered. And so obviously they can't pull out their cell phone and call and say, hey, don't attack, because it's 1917. Um, And so the only thing they know to do is pick these two soldiers out of this group and send them across enemy lines to that platoon to say, don't attack, you're going to get slaughtered. Um, And so these two soldiers literally have to run across enemy lines. The whole movie is following them trying to get there. And it's a really cool movie in that um, the the shot never cuts. And so if, if Sydney and I were having a conversation and we were characters on a movie, the camera would constantly cut back and forth between us, right? This movie never does that. It's literally like the the cameraman turned the camera on and followed these soldiers for two and a half hours and never cut. Um, So it makes it feel like you're running with them as you go. Um, These two soldiers are tasked to deliver a message and they are going to literally go through um, just the worst experiences to get that message there. So these soldiers are the only hope for their fellow armies and they have to get that message there. They've got nothing but hope for what they have to do, nothing else to go on. You know, life often feels like that. We often literally have nothing to keep us going but hope that at the end all of this will be worth it. All of this will be worth it. The same is the case for a character here in John 4, um, a a Roman official who's going to come to Jesus. So look at John 4. I'm going to start in verse 43 and I'm going to finish the chapter. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. 
for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. You notice the story takes place at Cana in Galilee. We've seen that place already once in John. It was where Jesus turned the water into wine. John pretty much bookends chapter 2 through chapter 4 in one section. These are several signs, that, several events that are going to happen that show Jesus better than all the Jewish institutions. It's bookended by Cana in Galilee, Cana in Galilee. Um, Jesus has been better than um, a wedding. He's been better than the temple, better than a rabbi, better than, um, in, in this case, the, the, the new life, the, the, the resurrection. He's, he's better than all these things. He fulfills all these things. Um, so this Roman official comes to him, um, and, and he hears that Jesus is there, so he comes. His son is sick. Um, Jesus is at Capernaum. I'm sorry, Jesus is at Galilee in Cana. Um, the, the Roman official is at Capernaum. So he has to come down to there. Um, that, that's about 16 miles between those two cities. Um, we assume he has a horse to ride because he's a Roman official, though he might have walked. We're, we're not really sure. It doesn't really say. Um, but he's got a 16-mile radius if he goes a direct line between that. So just to give you a little perspective, that's farther from here to Ashburn. That's farther than that. That's farther than, than from here to Omega. That's farther than from here to El Dorado or to Brookfield. 16 miles. This father's desperate. He's desperate. His son is dying. He doesn't know what the boy, we don't know what the boy had, but he's near death. He doesn't have much more time. We know he has a fever, but that's about all that we know that he had. Um, he's doing everything he can to get to Jesus, this father is. When your child is hurting, you become really desperate. You become really desperate. One of my favorite sounds in the world is to hear my son giggle. One of, the, one of the sounds that hurts me more than anything is to hear him cry. When, you, when, you're, when your child is sick, you are desperate. There's one day I remember that Haddon was hungry and we were out going different places and we were trying to get home so he could get fed, um, but we had to stop somewhere along the way and Adrian had to run inside and I stayed in the car with the baby and Haddon just started crying like the worst I've ever seen him cry in, my, in his life. Um, and he just would not stop, and I did everything I could to get him to stop. And he just kept getting worse and worse and worse, and I got desperate, and, and I just didn't know what to do. And it literally brought me to tears myself, because when your child is hurting, when your child is in pain, you are desperate. I was extremely desperate to get him home so he could get fed. And that's just from him being hungry. This, this child is dying. 
This child only has a few days left. This man is a Roman. He's a Roman official. So the Jews would have hated this guy. They would have hated him. Um, if maybe you don't understand it, here's, here's what it is. The people of Israel had their land, you know, when they had all their kings. They um, go into exile because of their sin. They're there for 70 years. They come back to that land, but their kingdom's never reestablished. They never get a monarchy back in place. So the Roman Empire had been growing during these 70 years. They had taken over the Jewish land, and now they are the ones that own this area. The Jews get to live there, but they're under Roman rule. Though they're back in their rightful land, they're not the owners of that rightful land. Maybe you can understand it in a different way. Let, let me put it in modern terms. Let, let's pretend that um, another nation came into the, to the United States, took all Americans, and shipped them off somewhere else. And that nation set up their own little nation here in the United States. They put in place their own elected officials. They put their own police force in place. They don't care about the laws of the U.S. They, they want to put their own laws in place. A generation later, our kids and grandkids get to come back. We die, but our, our kids and grandkids get to come back to the U.S. They've heard stories of how great this nation is and, and how wonderful the land is and how great life was here. They come back excited, but it's not the nation we've described to them anymore. It's something different. That nation we described to them is dead and gone. That's what it's like for the Jews. That, that's, that's their experience. So this guy, this Roman official, comes to Jesus and asks him to heal his son. And I can hear the disciples, the Jewish disciples, I can hear them looking at this Roman official, and they hate this guy. They hate him. I can hear them saying something like, don't heal his son. He doesn't deserve a son. Let the kid die. Now, maybe you don't picture the disciples that way. Maybe the disciples in your mind are good Christian men who never did a bad thing. And that was after the resurrection, absolutely. Before the resurrection, they would not have been nice guys. They would have been scumbags, probably. At Luke 9, Luke chapter 9, a village rejects Jesus. What do the disciples say? Hey, Jesus, you want us to destroy that city with fire from heaven because they didn't listen to you? We're going to do it. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. What's wrong with you? They hated this guy's guts. I can almost hear them saying, don't, don't worry about him. He doesn't deserve to, for you to do this for him. So what does Jesus say? He says, unless you see signs and wonders, verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This kind of sounds like a rebuke. It's, it's more like a lament. The way I hear it, it he's, he's lamenting. Like, like... Can't you just believe? Why do you need a magic trick to believe? Why, why can't you just believe? Because people tend to only believe in Jesus if it's a big show. The world really likes it when there's a big show, but when it's, when it's just simple, a word spoken by Jesus, that's not enough for them. That's why faith healers have such a following. You know these guys on TV who do these crazy healings and none of them are real, but people love them, like people flock to them. They have stadiums full of people. Um, it's a big show. You know, if I had the gift of healing, which I think is still a gift, I just don't think it's very common. Um, if I had the gift of healing and I prayed for somebody and they were healed of some kind of sickness and it worked, people would probably hear about it. But if it wasn't a big show, probably wouldn't become very well known. You know, why on earth do people like Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland have such a big following? 
You seen Kenneth Copeland's COVID-19 sermon that went around the internet? Back in March, he, he got all of his people together on a live stream. They're all six feet apart. And he's preaching a sermon against COVID-19. And he, he calls down judgment on COVID-19. And, and Kenneth Copeland believes that he is like God and he can speak things into existence. That's really what he believes. And so he stands there and he says, COVID-19, I blow the wind of God on you. You're destroyed forever. Well, October's here and it's not destroyed forever, is it? But it's a big show. Why does some doofus like this have followers? Why do people give money to a guy like this? You know, a, a preacher can stand here and open the Bible and preach a sermon of what God actually says, and people don't find it that impressive. They yawn at it. But Kenneth Copeland tries to say that he got a message from God that morning in his SpaghettiOs, and people are amazed by it, and they give money to support him. You know, you think of Benny Hinn. He, he makes a big dramatic show as he supposedly heals people. He swings his coat around the air like he's at a football game and it's a towel, and he smacks people with it, and they're supposed to fall down healed. You know, if I had that power, I'd be at the hospital. I wouldn't be up on a stage getting money for it. I guess he hasn't thought of that. But people are amazed by that sort of thing. They want a big sign, a big show. They want wonders. You're not always going to get a big show by Jesus. Sometimes his word has to be enough for you. Sometimes the word he speaks has to be enough for you. Jesus is going to speak a word to this Roman official, and that's all he's going to have to go on. That's it. Five words. That's all he's going to get. He's got to go back in faith. He's, he's going to go, have to go back home and just hope that something actually happened. So Jesus looks at him and he says, Go. Your son will live. That's it. That's all he gets. He has to either trust and go, or he has to doubt and go try and find help somewhere else. This magician didn't work. Maybe there's one down the street that can do it. You, you have to ask yourself the question, is the word of Jesus enough for you? Is it enough for you? You're going to come to moments like this guy in your life where Jesus' word is all you have, where what he says is all you've got, where you have to run across enemy lines with literally nothing but the word of Jesus to go on. That has to be enough for you. When you're wrestling with fear and anxiety, sometimes the word of Jesus is all you have. You have scenarios playing through your mind of terrible ways your life could turn out. You have to commit to yourself that the word of Jesus is enough to get you through it. You have to take this book and you have to read it and you have to hold tight and trust the promises that God says in it. In intense moments of desperation when you have nothing else. So I pulled a Charles Spurgeon last night. Um, you know that I love Spurgeon. I mention him a lot. Um, Spurgeon is... Um, probably the greatest preacher in the history of Christianity, aside from, of course, Jesus and Paul and all those guys. But um, Spurgeon, despite being the best, one of the best preachers in history, he would go into his study on Saturday nights and write his sermon on Sunday morning, for, for Sunday morning. Like, that night, he prepares the sermon, he gets up the next day and preaches it. Um, that stresses me out. You know, I write my sermons like a month in advance. Um, but, but that's what he would do. So last night, I always go and, and review my sermon for, the, for Sunday morning, Saturday night, get it in my mind, and 
Um, all week I'd been looking at this sermon and been thinking, uh, this is, this is a bad sermon. And I, I had lunch with a guy yesterday and I said, I, I, my sermon tomorrow is just not good. And, um, and all week I've been thinking that. And I don't know how to improve it, I was telling myself. So last night I spent a good hour thinking, how can I improve this? And I thought to myself, what fascinating thing could I put in this sermon to really grab people's attention? What could I put in it that some kind of story or some kind of joke or some kind of, you know, big statistic or, or fascinating thing that, that's really going to get them? They're going to be talking about it over lunch. And be, because if I was honest with myself, I thought my sermon was boring and lifeless. And I was thinking that to myself, and then it hit me. You're doing exactly what your sermon says not to do. You're trying to make this sermon into a show instead of just trusting the word of Jesus to do its work. Can I just be real honest with you? Don't pretend like you never question or doubt God's word and its effectiveness. I'm the pastor and I have moments like that. Push through those and trust his word. It is enough. It's, you don't need signs and wonders, you need his word. 2 Peter 1.3 says that we have all that we need in God's word for our life and for godliness. We don't need anything else. We don't need a sign. We don't need God to write something in the clouds or in our SpaghettiOs. You know, we don't need something more. We need his word alone. So read it and trust it. It's all you need. This official, this Roman official, has to decide if he trusts Jesus' word enough. Does he trust his word? He hears the word and he goes. Verse 50, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. He begins that 16-mile journey back. And if he's anything like me, he's nervous the entire journey, especially if he's walking. Remember, we don't know if he had a horse or if he was walking. Um, he, he can't text home and say, hey, honey, did, is the baby better? Did, did he get better? No, he just has to walk and wonder, did this work? If this didn't work, my son's done for. He's going to die. I'm never going to see him again. And honestly, I probably just wasted my final days with him going to this magician that I heard about. Uh, I, every negative thought, every anxiety is filling his head. It looks like the trip took him overnight to go back because in verse 52, it says that the boy was healed yesterday. Um, but so, so at some point, he stops and, and rests for the evening, for, for the night. He, he, he lays down. Um, wasn't safe to travel in this time at night. You, you, you might have a mob come and attack you. So I can only imagine he sits down, he makes this campfire. Um, he, he sits there, every bit of fear and anxiety encompassing him about his son, about his safety, about so many other things. And he's laying there. And all he's got is Jesus said that his son would be healed. And so he, he'll trust it. And so he's sitting there and the fire's crackling. And he's thinking, but, but what if that doesn't happen? No, no, he said it would. No, but, but that doesn't even make sense. Nobody's ever heard of that. No, he said, he, he said it would work. <sighs> he lays down, he tries to sleep, but he tosses and turns all night, never falling asleep, really. And when the dawn comes, he gets up and he keeps going. Bloodshot eyes, he has very little energy, but he's desperate. He continues home. And then he looks up and he sees a familiar face. 
someone he knows. It's one of his servants. The servant's running toward him. He arrives, and oh, he sees him from a distance, and the, and the centurion begins to run toward him, run, run to him. Um, he begins to jog. He gets to him. He arrives. He's out of breath. The servant says, your son, he's gotten better. He's better. The official hears it, and it's like glorious music to his ears. He falls on his knees with tears in his eyes. All of the struggle was worth it. The word of Jesus was all he had to go on, and it was faithful to what it said. He believes. And it says, actually, verse um, 43, he himself believed. No, 53, not 43. 53. Um, he himself believed, and all of his household believed. So you can only imagine, he gets back home, his son's well, his, his wife is happy, and, and he looks at them and he says, it was Jesus. He did this. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our lives. Forget our Roman gods. They can't do anything. This guy healed our son. His word is trustworthy. Everyone in the house sees it and agrees. You know, it's a thing of the miracles Jesus performs, the healing we so want for somebody in our lives, that it's not just so that they can have good health. That they're for your faith. Jesus heals us that we might believe in him, that we might believe in him better. That is what we need more healing. That, that's what we need more than healing. We need strong faith in Jesus in both good times and bad. You don't just need a miracle so your life can get, can get back to normal. You need Jesus to fill every part of your lives. You don't need God to bring an end to COVID just so you can go back to your normal life. You need this time of COVID and all of its craziness to grow you in your dependence on Jesus. Verse 54, it says, This was the second sign that Jesus did in Cana, in Judea to Galilee. You, you remember the first sign was the water into wine. This is the second. There's going to be seven of these in John. This is the second one. It's not the second miracle Jesus performed lightly, but, but it's the second in the book of John. And remember, signs point to something. Stop signs tell you to stop. Signs point to something. So what does this sign point to? Well, I think a few things. First of all, the word of Jesus can be trusted. He's faithful. Do you, do you see how important this, this book is, the, the, the Bible? This isn't just some old book that the preacher's supposed to read and give us you know, a, a message from. This is the book you need. You need this book. You need every page of it. You need it. It has the words of eternal life that can truly satisfy your soul and carry you through your days. You know, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, but he, 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 medit he delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted by rivers and the water comes in and it goes up the roots and it goes in the tree and makes it healthy and it bears fruit. And the person who doesn't read the word is like, is like chaff that the wind just blows away. You need this book to make you spiritually healthy. You need the word of Jesus. Secondly, we see that Jesus is not bound by space. He's not bound by space. Sometimes you might feel like Jesus is far away from you. He's not. He's in all places. We call this his omnipresence. It's a fancy word that just means all places, all presence. He's not unable to come to your aid because he's far away. He healed a boy that was 16 miles away by speaking five words. He's not too far away. 
call out to him for help and trust him. And then we say that Jesus is there for you when you're desperate. Are you desperate this morning? Is it like this official, you have a loved one dying and you're just wanting them to make it? Come to Jesus. He's the healer of the sick and the dying. He, he will heal them one way or the other. Are you scared to death of COVID-19, uh, that, that, that something's going to happen to you with it? Come to Jesus. He's the one who gives eternal life so that even if you die from COVID, you will live. Are you filled with fear of your future or our nation's future or, or, or whatever future? Come to Jesus. He's the one that gives you steadfast hope for your future. Is your marriage barely hanging on by a thread? Come to Jesus. He loves marriage. He created marriage. And he can restore your marriage. Do you have a wayward child? Come to Jesus. He's the one who calls the prodigal son home. And he's the father who puts a robe around the prodigal and has a party to celebrate that he's back. Are you not sure whether to stay at your job or not? You have a really hard working condition that's causing stress on your family. There's another opportunity. Come to Jesus. Allow him to be your wonderful counselor. Are you depressed? Lonely? Anxious? Struggling? Come to Jesus. He wants to give you fullness of joy found only in him. Are you at the end of yourself? Come to Jesus. He's the one who says when you lose your life, you truly find it. Are you addicted? Come to Jesus and be set free. Are you keeping a secret from those you love? That secret is tearing you apart, isn't it? Come to Jesus. He wants to help you know how to share that secret and relieve yourself of that pain. Are you living in sin that is destroying your life? Come to Jesus. Be forgiven and learn to confess and turn from that sin. Are you lost? Do you have no hope in this life or in eternity? Come to Jesus. He will save you. Jesus can give new life. We see that here. He can take a dying person and give them new life. Jesus can heal physically, absolutely. But there's a spiritual picture of what he does here as well. You were dead in your sins. Christ spoke and you came to life. This is a picture of what happens when you receive Christ. You are reborn. You're healed. You're made new. Do you understand the joy of this? You need this new life. Do you know Jesus? Would you describe your relationship with him as new life? Come to him and find new life. You need healing. He can do that you must repent of your sins and believe that when Jesus died, he bore your punishment for you. By his stripes, you are healed. Friend, will you believe that? Come to him, desperate. Cry out, Jesus, help me. Trust his word. Know that he's good no matter what. And then walk by faith, believing his word. Let's pray together. Father, your word is good. Lord, the, the things in this word are um, beyond anything we could comprehend. So simple that a five-year-old can understand it so deep that a theologian can dig into it for all of eternity and never grow tired. 
Lord, we have all that we need for life and godliness in this book. I pray that we would trust it. And I pray that we'd believe in it. I pray that we would meditate on it day and night. That we will bear fruit. That we will not be blown away by the wind. Lord, in our moments of desperation, help us to run to the word. Not run to things to pass the time. Run to, run to your word, the thing that's going to give us hope. And may it give us hope. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'll be down at the front if you'd like.